It's Father's Day, and um, I'm going to go fast. So we're going to, is everybody geared? Everybody ready to go? You know, Hebrews 10 verse 23 says, consider how you may spur one another on. And I want to provoke you today. You okay with that? You okay with being provoked? You know, spurs are those little wheels with spikes in the, on the back of cowboy boots. And when the cowboy kicks the horse, it causes the, the horse to jolt forward. And the writer of Hebrews says, consider how you may jolt one another, spur one another on. So that's what I want to do today. Is that okay? All right. And it's Father's Day, so I'm going to talk about the Father. If you can, turn to John chapter 20, and we're going to read from verse 21. John Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 20. Father, thank you so much that you are our Father in heaven. And we thank you for the Father's Day. Thank you that we get to celebrate fatherhood. We get to celebrate what you are like. And I just thank you for everybody in this room. Lord, no matter what experience of a father we may have had, whether it was um, indifferent, whether it was good, whether it was bad or non-existent, or I pray for people that are not yet fathers, they're going to be fathers. Whatever category we fall into, we thank you this morning that you are a great dad, that you're a great amazing, awesome Father. And Holy Spirit, I ask that as we read your word today, that each and every one of us would leave having been touched by your word, which is alive, which is living and active, and we will be changed into your likeness in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. I'm going to go fast because it's Father's Day, and I know you've got lunch and stuff to be going. Okay, John chapter twenty. Um, verse 21. Verse 19, on the, on the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were gathered together, the doors were locked because of fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and stood to them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. For as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. For as the Father has sent me, Jesus said, I am sending you. Say that with me. I am sending you. So the Father sent Jesus and Jesus sent us. As the Father has sent Jesus, Jesus has sent us us. And then at that, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Remember this text because we're going to end today with the Holy Spirit breathing on them. And I believe today the Holy Ghost wants to breathe on this house and he wants to breathe on us to remind us again the very reason we are here on planet earth. The first song we sang today was let heaven come. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Let it be done, Lord, right here on earth as it is in heaven. We are conduits from heaven onto earth to bring God's will that it is as it is in heaven right here on earth. That's why we're here. In Acts chapter 1, it says Jesus, it starts off, Acts starts off, Luke wrote, Luke was a doctor and he wrote Acts and he says, my, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And for 40 days, Jesus taught them about the kingdom of God. And then they asked this question, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? 
And Jesus says this, that's not for you to know the times or the dates that my father has set by his authority, but, everyone say but, but you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you so that you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus, instead of asking their eschatology question, how's the, all go- how's the world going to end? He says, I'm not interested in that. In fact, I don't even know. Only my father knows that. But what I will tell you is this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you because I've anointed you to be my witnesses. So when the Holy Ghost comes upon us, it's for power to bring heaven onto earth. As the Father has sent me, Jesus said, so I am sending you. And he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. I want to say this to this morning, that Jesus came to reveal what the Father is like. Jesus came to show us what an amazing dad our God really is. And the Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, Jesus is the exact, another translation says, the radiance of the Father. He is the exact representation of the Son. Isn't that amazing? That Jesus is the exact representation, represent, represent, represent. We're here to represent Jesus. We're here to represent Jesus right here on the earth. That's why we are here. And we have the the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. When you get born again, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you for, for salvation. But there's a second baptism. And it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit for empowerment so that we can be everything that God has called us to be with power. The Greek word is dunamis, which is where we get the word dynamite from, and it means power. You will receive dynamite when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. By the way, dynamite gets more powerful with age. First the natural, then the spiritual. Church, the older you get, the more powerful you get in the Holy Ghost. That's why the Bible says, in the last days, old men will dream dreams. The older you get, you're not just dreaming. You're dreaming about dreams about dreams. It gets more and more powerful. So don't just retire in the Spirit. Refire in the Spirit and say, the best is yet to come. There's more authority from heaven. And it's hell's best kept secret to make you and I believe that we don't have any power. But we do. We have a whole bunch of power. Amen? John 14, verse 9, we don't have time to, to uh, turn there, but you can look it up. It says, show, if Jesus says this, if you have seen, they, the disciples said, show us the Father, Jesus. And Jesus says, if you have seen me, then you have seen the Father. Why? Because Jesus is the exact representation of what the Father is like. Happy Father's Day. Because when we see what Jesus is like, we see what the Father is like. And when we act like Jesus, the Holy Spirit empowers us to do that. Because God's purpose is to fill the earth with a people that look just like him. The very first mandate that God gave to Adam is he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. 
And he said, go, I want, he's blessed them. He said, be fruitful and multiply and rule and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living thing that walks along the ground. He blessed them to go, to fill the earth. Amen? Exciting. Psalm 67. You can turn there if you'd like. Psalm 67. I love this passage. It says this, May God be gracious to us and bless, bless us and make his face shine upon us. Watch this. That your ways may be known in all the earth. May God be gracious to us. May his face shine upon us. Watch this. Why? Why? God be gracious to me. God, let your face shine. Why? So that his ways may be known in the earth. For when we act like Jesus, we are acting like the Father. And when we act like Jesus, the Holy Spirit says, I agree. I've said this before and I'll say it again. I, be, I believe the anointing is simply when the Holy Spirit says, I agree. When we talk about Jesus, he says, I agree. That's why when we worship songs this morning, there was such a beautiful, I just want to thank those who led today. You did such a beautiful job. That I, there's nothing like the presence of God. The first meeting we ever had in a coffee shop on a, here in town, somebody said, God, if you don't go with us, we don't want to go. And you know, that's still the same. I do have no interest in just coming along to get along. Just doing church. I want to be a part of something that makes the ground shake. That actually a part of something was like God is, up, God is upon us for a purpose. Not to come along and just do worship and do have nice meetings in children's church. No, I just want to, I want to change. I want to, I want to have children's church. And this is happening. It's happening so that they can be Holy Ghost arsonists. So they can light fires everywhere they go with their life. So we can see the whole earth filled with his glory as the waters cover the sea. That's what Numbers 14, 21 says. As surely as I live, says the Lord, all the earth will be filled with my glory as the waters cover the sea. His glory is his nature. So it's when we see Jesus, we've seen the Father, the glorious Father. His glory is his nature. And he wants us, his people, to be reflectors and carriers of his glory, of his nature, what he is like. And he's so good. And can I suggest, church, that as the church at large, sometimes we've done an extremely poor job at representing what God the Father is like. And I want this morning in the time that we have left to just have a glimpse again and look at some of the characteristics of Jesus and how he handled people and how, and how he spoke to people. And from that, we can say, well, if that is how Jesus teach, treats people, then that's how the Father treats people. If that was what Jesus was like, then that's how the Father was like. And therefore, that's how I need to be like. But sometimes because of our own religion and our religiosity and our thinking, all of these things have come in and taken the place of what we think is right. And I think sometimes we miss it. So I want to unveil, I want to unmask a little bit, perhaps your perceptions of what God is like today. And I'm going to do it because it's Father's Day. And he's an amazing father. And he's a good father. And he's a gracious father. 
And if you had a terrible father, maybe you look through the lens of your own natural father at God and think, I don't want a God like that. And can I say, he's so amazing and he's so good. That I believe for some of you, the veil needs to be just taken away of the lies that you, perhaps you've believed about what God the Father is like. For some of you, even the name Father is like, ah. Uh. Others of you may have had an amazing father. And I just want to say, he's even better than that. He's even better. Some of you, I've never, ever had a father. I've never been fathered. I want to tell you today, he's the father to the fatherless. He's the defender of widows, and he puts the lonely in families. That's why we're a family here. And we have a heavenly father. We get to be his kids. Sonship is our second core value of this house. That we live as sons, not as slaves. But we understand that we, are, we have an amazing father and we're his kids. And you know what? That's what we have in common. And the basis of our union is not that we tick a bunch of boxes saying, yes, we agree with that, yes, we agree with that, okay, we'll be, we'll be a part of Life Church. No, the basis of our union is that we have the same dad. So even if we disagree on something or we're not on the same page, it's okay. Why? Because we have the same dad. And because we have the same dad, we have the same last name. And we're Christians. Amen? All right. So let's have a look at these together. Oh. You know, I'll just say this as well. Who God is to you is who God will be through you. If you believe God is an, is an angry God, if you believe God is in a bad mood and he's always out to get you and he's out to fight you, that's the God that you will represent. If you believe that God is just a God who's just there just to give you stuff whenever you want it, that's the God that you will represent. So understanding the very nature of God accurately is really, really important. Okay, three different people, and um, we've looked at some of these before. Hun, would you mind just passing me those two whiteboards? And the first one is this. The first one is found in Luke chapter 19. If you want to turn there, you can. I'm just going to tell the story for the sake of time. But the first is in Luke chapter 19, and it's about a little man named Zacchaeus. Everyone say Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, if you remember from, uh, from uh, nursery school or from uh, children's church, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He was a tiny little guy. And he was a tax collector. He was not a good man. He was a dishonest man, the Bible says. He was a man that cheated many people. But when, watch this, and here's where I want to perhaps unveil and erase some of our feelings about what God is like. When we see this Jesus, the Jesus who was a friend of sinners, and he's coming into town, and this sinner, this notorious sinner, this man that had done wrong, he'd done the community wrong, he was disliked, he was a liar, he was a cheat, but he heard that Jesus was coming. Question, if God himself is coming, and you know that you have shame and disgrace, and you're in sin, Many people would feel like the last thing I want to do is go to church. Can't you see I feel bad enough about my sin already? But not Zacchaeus. For some reason, this man felt I've got to go and see this Jesus. So he raced ahead to where Jesus was going to be. And is there any water there, Bun? 
Uh, he was, raced ahead where, where Jesus was going to be. And when he got there, because he was small, he climbed a tree. And he waited till Jesus came along. Stay with me. Thank you so much, bud. He waited till Jesus came along. And when Jesus gets to Zacchaeus, he stops and he looks up at Zacchaeus. The guy must have been freaking out. Like, how does he know me? He must have known what I've done wrong. And Jesus says to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down here today. I want to eat in your house. And if you read the scriptures, it says muttering began amongst them. Muttering began amongst the religious people. Isn't this a rabbi? Isn't this the son of God? Isn't this a man of God? Isn't this a teacher? Why would he be eating with a sinner? Mutter, mutter, mutter. Turn to your neighbor and say, mutter, mutter, mutter. Don't you hate muttering? Mutter, mutter, mutter. Muttering. So he starts muttering. They start muttering. Muttering, 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 and Jesus goes to his house. Now, understand, in that culture, to eat with somebody was a sign of acceptance. Everyone say, acceptance. I'm just going to go through, and you've heard this before, I've preached this bit before, but just by way of reminder, I want to remind you to check your AC. Check your AC. Here's what I mean. If you weren't here a year or so ago when I think I first did this, Here's the A. A is for acceptance and C is for change. Acceptance before change is what Jesus modeled here. He said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, I accept you. Zacchaeus, today I want to come and I want to eat in your house. And muttering began. Because what religion says is you must first change before you get acceptance. Respond a little bit, church. Stay with me. Otherwise, I'll keep going around in circles thinking you're not going to get it. Okay, so, so what does religion say? You have to, before you get, but Jesus says, I, but Jesus says, I offer acceptance before change. See, the world don't know how much of this they have to get before they get any of this. The religion says, if you change, then you'll get some of this. Jesus says, I'm going to give you this, regardless as if you do this. Watch this. Regardless, regardless as of whether you change or not. Nowhere in the story, in Luke chapter 19, the story of Zacchaeus and Jesus, nowhere in the story did Jesus demand change. But watch this, church. This is the power of the gospel, and this is the very nature of the, very, of the God that we serve and the Father that he is. He says, I accept you regardless of whether you change. But it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So when we overdose the world on this, the byproduct of this is this. But we need to stop demanding this because Jesus never did. He said, I'm going to OD you with this. I'm going to overdose you with my grace and my love and kindness because there's nothing that you can do to earn or deserve my favor. That's the power of the gospel. It is by grace that we're saved and not by works so that no man can boast. So church, we need to stop demanding people do this and give loads and loads of this. And this will be the byproduct of this. Amen? I got there in the end. All right. Hallelujah. All right. So 
That's the first one. The first one is Zacchaeus. We see the very nature of God. You know, there is... it's so important that when that we see Jesus, we understand what God is like by looking at the life of Jesus. And when we act like Jesus, the Holy Ghost will come upon us. I'm going to say that again. When we see what, when we see what the Father is like, but when we look at what Jesus was like. And when we are what Jesus is like, the Holy Ghost comes upon us. Because the, the anointing is when the Holy Spirit says, I agree. He is the paraclete. He's the one that comes alongside. He says, I'm going to be with you. I will never leave you. Jesus says to the disciples, I'm going to go to the Father now. I'm going home. My work is done. I came to die on the cross to show you what the Father is like. I came to carry all your sickness, all your shame, and all of your disease. Now go and spread this good news right across the whole earth. And by the way, I'm going to send you the Holy Ghost. And he'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. He'll be with you always. And he breathed on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When we act like Jesus, we attract the Holy Ghost. When we worship Jesus, we attract the Holy Ghost. Amen? Okay, number two. Number two, John chapter 8. And this is the story and the account of the woman caught in adultery. Second example, second illustration of how we see what the Father is like. How? By seeing what the Son is like. And when we act like the Son, the Holy Ghost will come upon us with power. Because Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. Amen? Are you guys awake today? I'm going to preach myself happy. This is good news. This is amazing news about what the Father is like. He's such a great dad. And so here, there's a a woman who's caught in adultery. Sometimes I I think that word caught in in Galatians chapter 6, it says this. Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, it puts a different angle of the way we look at the sin. It's not just... Oh, well, they sinned and they turned and they repented. No, they were caught in sin. I don't know what that looked like, but this lady was caught in adultery. She's caught in sin. She is guilty. And here she is. And what the religious leaders again, like with Zacchaeus, they started to mutter. But here what they said, the law says, the law says, the law says, the law says she must be stoned. The law says she must be punished. And Jesus is writing In the sand. We don't know what he's writing. I've heard all kind of different opinions on what he wrote, but it doesn't say what he wrote, so it doesn't say what he wrote. But what we do know is as whatever he was writing, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the religious folk, who said she must die because the law says so, started to leave. The oldest first. The one with the biggest list. (laughs) The one who's had the most time to sin. Left first. And then Jesus, I love what one translation says, then Jesus straightened his back. Jesus stood up and he looked at the woman. We don't know her name. And he said, woman, where are your accusers? And she said, they've all gone. Jesus said, I don't accuse you either. 
I don't condemn you either. Woman, go and sin no more. You know, repentance just means to change your mind. What we've made the word repentance, we've made it to sound like a threat. Repent! Change! Sinner! Change! Change! But I want to suggest the very heart of a father, which is portrayed through the son, is one of kindness and gentleness. I will never forget those that showed me acceptance before change. Times in my life where I was clearly in the wrong. Where I clearly needed to be put in my place. Where punishment would have been deserving. I remember a time when I wasn't even really walking with the Lord and I was in my teenage years and I was in bed sleeping in late and my father knocked on the door and he walked in. And he came and he sat at the end of my bed and he said, son, wake up. And he said, I need to ask you a question. He said, did you do this? And I remember opening my eyes thinking, Ugh, this isn't going to be good. And I started to think how I could get out of this. And as my eyes opened, I looked at the love in my father's eyes. And I thought, how can I lie to my father with love like that? And I said, Dad, I did it. Please forgive me. And I remember he squeezed my ankle and he said, son, I forgive you. I'm going to take care of this. And I remember him standing up and leaving my room very quietly and quietly closed the door. One day I want to be a dad like that. See, if you know a dad, he was just representing the dad. And our heavenly dad is so much better than any earthly dad, including mine. But I saw just a snippet of what God the Father's like. To look at us with love in his eyes and just say, yeah, I totally forgive you. See, we're reading, reading these stories that are all pre-cross. But when Jesus died on the cross, the wrath of God was satisfied. All the rage of God was satisfied on his son Jesus. The cross church was ugly. He was marred beyond human likeness. And the wrath of God was satisfied. You know, Jesus actually became sin. And he carried our sickness and he carried our shame and our disgrace until the point that the Father turned his head and Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then it was finished. Boom. The shedding of his blood and Jesus crying out, Tatalestai. It's paid. And so now, where did we get into our thinking that we have to work our way into a place of acceptance? Because it's by grace that we're saved. 
and not by works. It's the gift of God. The third and final, final one is the story in Luke chapter 15. Jesus tells three parables back to back. The first one is the story of lost sheep. The second is the lost coin, and the third is the lost son. I'm going to end with the lost son. But very quickly, this story of the lost sheep, if I could just summarize it into, into just a couple of paragraphs, I just want to say this. Sheep here represent people. And sheep, if you ever look at sheep, they just get preoccupied with whatever is in front of them. Sheep just eat. Their heads are down. And they're just munching away doing what sheep do. They're just munching away at grass. Munch, munch, munch. Munch, munch, munch. That's all they do. And they wander. And they go this way. And they get stuck. And they get caught in, in thistles. And, and they go the wrong way. And they're sheep. And I just want to suggest to you that when Jesus tells this parable about sheep, he's just talking about mankind, that they just got lost. They got preoccupied with living life and paying bills and raising kids and being shouted at by their boss. Jesus is saying, hey, they, they just got preoccupied. And in being preoccupied, they got lost. Sheep get lost all the time. Why? Because they're preoccupied because they're not looking where they're going. The second was a coin. And here, I believe this lost coin, how did it get lost? You know, sometimes we are careless with life. We're careless with our bodies. We're careless with each other. We're care careless with, with humanity. We are just careless. We have not taken good care. You know the word abuse, the definition of abuse is, for, is to use something other than that which it was intended for. That's the definition of, of abuse. And that's what we've done. We've been careless. We have abused our generation. We've abused people. We've not used them or managed them or helped them in the way that God intended. And the result was, was it got lost. Lost sheep, lost coin. And the final one was the story of the lost son. The story of the prodigal son. And I want to read this and I'm going to read it from the message translation of the Bible. And it says this. Then Jesus said, there was once a man who had two sons. And the younger said to his father, Father, I want, I want right now what's coming to me. You know, the literal translation of that is, you might as well be dead to me. Give me, dad, right now, what belongs to me. So the father divided the property between them. And it wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything that he had. After he had gone through all of his money, there was a bad famine all through the country and he began to hurt. He signed on with a citizen there who assigned him to his field to slop the pigs. And he was so hungry that he would have eaten the corn cobs from the pig slop, but no one would give him any. <laughs> Amazing. That brought him to his senses. And he said, all those farmhands working 
for my father sit down to three meals a day. And here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against God. And I have sinned against you. And I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me as a hired hand. And he got right up and went home to his father. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him and his heart was pounding and he ran out and he embraced him and he kissed him and the son started with his speech. Father, I have sinned against God and I've sinned before you and I don't deserve to be called your son again. But the father wasn't listening. But the father wasn't listening. I love this. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling to his servants, quick, bring a clean set of clothes, the finest clothes, and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and the sandals on his feet and get the grain of the, fe- the grain-fed heifer and roast it for we're going to have a feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead, but now he is alive again. Given up for lost, but now he's found. And they began to have a wonderful time. What another amazing picture of what the Father is like. He's a Father, as we heard a few weeks ago, that gives us choice. I often think about this story. Why would the Father give him his inheritance? You're empowering him to make a bad decision. But there comes a point in our life, every single day as we grow, that we have a choice to choose life or choose death. And we have a loving father that will sometimes allow us to make poor decisions until we come to the end of ourself and we turn around, which is what repentance means, to change your mind and go home. But what I love about this great, amazing picture of what God the Father is like, church, is he not only did he empower him with choice, but then he never went after him. You know, there are times when we're running from God where we expect God to dress up our pigsty and he won't do it. We think, God, could you put a lazy boy on a flat screen TV in here? And he says, nope. God spoke to me one time, go after the lost because they don't know where home is. The prodigals do. And church, prodigals know where home is. The son knew where home was. And watch this. When he turned in his heart, he said this. He said, I'll return to my father's house. And number one, I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against God. Number two, I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against you. And number three, I'm going to be a hired hand. I'm going to go back to working my way into your favor again. So he turned and he ran towards the house. And I love this. It's a beautiful picture. But it says, when he was a long way off, the father saw him. And you know, when we, when we draw near to God, God draws near to us. James says, when we draw near to God, he will draw near to you. As soon as we turn our hearts towards him, God rushes towards us. You know, in that culture, it was undignified for men to show their knees. It was an undignifying for even a man to run. Because the father knew in this, in this tale, in this picture, in this story, the father knew that if he didn't get to His son, before the village did, the village would have killed the son. Because in that culture, it was such a dishonor to dishonor your father. It was punishable by death. But the father was looking for him, waiting for his heart to turn. Never went after him, but waited till he turned his heart. And as soon as he did, he met him and he came running. What a beautiful picture of how God loves us, that he is willing to lift up his outer garments and show his knees and run. Papa runs like a girl. 
in his love for us in his passion for us, in the way he just loved, I just love you. And then as they met, boom, the son says, Dad, I've sinned against God. I know. Dad, I've sinned against you. I know. Dad, I will be, be quiet. He never got to the third thing. He never got to all the things that he did wrong. He said, be silent. It says in the, in the message, he says, and the father stopped listening. And he says, no, my son is home. This is another message for the other day. For another day, what, what happened with the older brother? But I just want to talk about the, the older brother is a picture of the orphan spirit. You know, Satan himself is the ultimate orphan. And it's so important that we know that we are loved, that we are sons. If we don't, we will we will argue over a goat. If you read it, he goes, if you read this, if you read this in the message, he, he goes on and the brother says, when he's, ta- he's arguing with his dad, you never even gave me a goat. But the father, the expression was, but you have everything. But even when you have everything, your orphan spirit raises just a goat. But it all belongs to you because you don't understand sonship. Go back to the son. The son, the son, the son, the son. He, under, he, he had an encounter with a father that loved him, even when he'd messed up. The other one had different problems, but he hadn't gone away and cheated and, and given his life. And if you read the story, he goes, You're my brother, gave his life and wasted it on whores, and you have a party for him? You ever felt like that? Watch this, church. That is the religious spirit. That is the orphan spirit. And it runs contrary to the very heart and the very nature of God himself. Happy Father's Day. He's a great father. He's a good father. He comes running to us. He'll become undignified in his love for us. And I want to encourage you, love your kids. Love your, love your children. Love your children's children. Love one another. Don't hold people's sins against them. If God never chooses to remember them no more, I want to suggest to you it's a sin for us to do the same. Rather, I'll say that again. If God chooses to remember our sins no more, it's a sin for us to do otherwise. It's a sin for us to remember and remind ourselves, everyone say myself, or anyone else, of the sins that Jesus has forgiven us. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us for all unrighteousness. And as far as the east is from the west, so he has removed our transgressions from us and remembers them no more. He doesn't remember them. Therefore, we mustn't either. Amen? Hallelujah. Grace is like a bungee cord. Grace is like a bungee cord that when we let go of the thing that we're reaching for, it snaps us back into the will and purposes of God. When we let go of the thing, and some of you today in, the, in your own personal life, you, you're reaching for things. They may be private things. They may be ungodly things. And I wanna, I'm going to pray in a moment for that, for you, the, as you ch- like, the, like the prodigal, he came to his senses that this is crazy. Why am I doing this? I can't, I, I don't want to eat pig slop. I could be in my father's house. I could be eating three square meals a day. But I, now I've got to go and deal with the shame of my father. Can I say that was dealt with at Calvary? The divine exchange, you can read it in Isaiah 61, for our shame. Instead of our shame, instead of our shame, we received a double portion. 
So there is no more shame. Shame blames, shame runs, shame hides. That's what happened in the garden. Who told you, you know, Adam, he heard the sound of God and he ran and he hid and he covered up and he blamed. Shame runs, hides, covers up and blames somebody else. Always. It's this woman you gave me, God. Adam, what are you doing behind the tree? Oh, I was naked and afraid. Who told you you were naked and afraid? Um, we don't have to be like that with our Heavenly Father because the wrath of God was satisfied. It was paid for at Calvary. I feel like I'm jumping into 28 messages right now. I'm just going to really, really back, really back. It's Father's Day and there's loads to do. Uh, everybody stand. I'm going to pray. Just put your hands up, will you? I want you to have an encounter with Heavenly Father right now. I want you to have an encounter with Holy Ghost right now. And I'm going to pray that he was going to breathe on this house, breathe on this place to us today to burn some stuff away. Can I say, if you, if you need to do business with God and put some things right, do it. You know, in, in Hebrews it says you can come boldly before the throne of grace and receive mercy in your time of need. Another translation says you can come confidently. Isn't that amazing? You can come with confidently. Confidence because of the finished work of the cross. Whew. Thank you, Father. Father, I want to thank you today on Father's Day. I want to thank you for being an amazing dad. And I just pray for everybody in this house that's had, whether they've had a great dad, whether they've had a terrible dad, whether they've had an indifferent dad, or whether they had no dad at all. God, I thank you that you are a heavenly, perfect, amazing, awesome dad. And I thank you that when we see Jesus, we've seen you. And from these stories today that Jesus told, from these encounters that people had with Jesus, I thank you that as we look at the life of your son, we see what you were like. And God, today I ask that each one of us would come because of the finished work of the cross, not with heads bowed, in shame but with heads lifted up in confidence that we would come before your throne of grace to receive this morning mercy and grace in our time of need and Father I ask that you would just forgive us in this place where we've fallen short even with ourselves, of not truly forgiving and showing grace some of you right now need not only to forgive other people, but you need to forgive yourself. Just quietly say your own name and say, I forgive you. I forgive you. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come. You would come and burn away shame you'd burn away guilt you'd burn sin and filth 
You'd burn away bad attitudes, things that have caused us to be twisted and bent out of shape. This morning we would leave here clean. We would leave here with our heads lifted up. We would leave, leave, leave here today with confidence and boldness because we are sons and daughters, not slaves and sinners. Church, as you just stand here just for a moment, and I want to remind you of a story that happened in a, in a zoo. A young boy, it's a true story, was fell into a gorilla cage. And he fell a long way down and landed in this, I believe it was a silverback gorilla, ran to him and the parents, everybody was screaming in this gorilla scooped up this four-year-old boy, I believe he was. To everybody's amazement, this gorilla gently cradled this toddler. And he began to gently stroke his face. The boy began to wake up and stir and scream and cry with the gorilla. Cradled him and just very tenderly looked after this young boy eventually the zookeepers came and gently took the boy from the gorilla what fascinated me is the very next day from all around the country where this happened people came and flocked to this zoo to see this gracious church I want to end this morning with this this thought to leave you is that we serve a God of tremendous grace first scripture the second scripture we read was Psalm 67 Uh, I long to be gracious with you let my face shine upon you church he is a gracious father he's so gracious and I believe the church should be a little tiny bit like that zoo where people come to the church because they've heard about a gracious father. They've heard about a God who is good. A God who is tremendously, exceedingly kind. A God who is slow to anger and who is rich in love. A God that accepts us and doesn't demand change and that we find that change is a byproduct of being overdosed with love and grace and acceptance. Church, I want this house to be a place where unsaved people come with warts and all, with addictions and problems, where suddenly we don't, we're, our meetings become so different that because there's people that we don't know and suddenly we're picking up our purses and our bags because there's lots of people we don't know and maybe they look a little unsavory. And I just say today on Father's Day, let's let the muttering begin. And let this house be a friend of sinners. And let this house have the anointing of the Holy Ghost upon it 
because we are doing what Jesus told us to do. And the, the world will see Jesus in us. And when they see Jesus in us, they'll have an encounter with the Holy Spirit and they will know what the Father is like through us, the church. So Father, I thank you again for this glorious day. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for coming upon us with power so that we can be your witnesses to the ends of the earth. Lord, we just give you our lives again today. We say, Lord, choose us. Lord, fall upon us. Holy Ghost, fall upon us. Fill us afresh so that our lives are overflowing with the fruit of the Spirit so that people can know what you're like. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Just applaud the Lord.